I've always been incredibly um, committed to understanding the business strategy and mm. making sure that the marketing strategy and marketing plans align to that. So I would never want to think about uh, building a marketing strategy that from the outset doesn't, doesn't actually align to that mm. business strategy and business goals. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. Welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Richard. And I'm Benedict. And today we've got Amy Stankis. Uh, Amy, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. So I am the Chief Marketing Officer at ION. I recently started with the company about four months ago. So lots of uh, new adventures where I am now. I came from S&P Global Market Intelligence, where I was the global head of marketing there as well. I had a pretty large team and we did lots of great work. I was there for about four years. Before that, I was at Thomson Reuters for about five years. And I've been at various other companies in the financial services industry. So uh, SEI Investments, Dow Jones, uh, BNY Mellon. I won't go on forever, but basically I've been in and around the financial services industry for coming up to 20 years now, which is a little bit scary thinking about how long that's been. Um, but it's given me really great insights into how the industry runs and, and just generally how marketing can add the most value yeah. in this industry. Excellent. I hadn't gone that far back in your CV, but that really is a who's who of financial <laughs> services. So that's great. Um, and today we're going to be talking about content um, and content, obviously, within marketing. And we kick things off with a bit of a, well, hopefully a provocative truth. Um, and that's from, from my perspective. When we talk about content, such an integral part of marketing, but so often it's doesn't bear any sort of like resemblance to what the business is trying to achieve. It's so often completely misaligned with actually what the audience care about. And actually, in some respects, people are just doing it sort of arbitrarily because they feel they have to. Now, that sort of idea and that sort of truth, is that something that you agree with, Amy, or you think I'm just talking bollocks? Um, I think God. to a certain extent, there is, there is an element of truth in it, in that to do any good and meaningful, engaging marketing campaign, you have to have content. It's it's really critical to an, any strategy. And I think so many marketers can really struggle with, with the creation of the content that you might come up with this amazing strategy and this amazing plan, but when the rubber actually hits the road and you've got to create it within your business, with the stakeholders, mm. with the resources you've got to hand, it just might not be exactly as you had envisaged at the beginning. So there tends to be a little bit, it can be, and I'm only yeah. saying, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is a general rule at all, but I have seen where you just get a bit, you know, desperate to kind of go, right, well, we've just got to create something. Mm. And, and it might not be exactly what you wanted it to be, but um, you've got to get something uh -huh. out of the door. And so, you know, it might mean that quality suffers. It might mean that, you know, the message is not quite as on point as you wanted it to be. And it's not quite as consistent in terms of how it lands in, in, the, in the market. But like I say, this is not a generalized rule at all because I believe marketers do a great job in general. Um, but I can see as a provocative truth, that yeah. might be, I've seen it happen in mm -hmm. certain circumstances. And that's an interesting answer. Uh, and it's also an answer that's slightly wrong-footed me because I was expecting ah. that we would be talking about that lack of planning, that lack of strategy up front. But interestingly, what you're saying is that it almost comes down to some of the problems with stakeholder management 
and people, rightly or wrongly, um, being invested in the decisions around sort of content. So do you feel that that's almost where the, the biggest sort of issue is at the moment? I do, from my experience. Yeah. And, you know, you might speak to other marketers that have slightly mm. different challenges, but I've always been incredibly um, committed to understanding the business strategy and mm. making sure that the marketing strategy and marketing plans align to that. So I would never want to think about uh, building a marketing strategy that, from the outset doesn't doesn't actually align to that mm. business strategy and business goals. Mm. And so everything comes back to those business goals at the end of the day. And yes, so with that in mind, you know, you come up with these great plans and these and, and this um great vision. But actually like I say, in the execution part yeah. of that, you might hit more blockers and barriers and obstacles than you may be envisaged mm. at the start. So I would just say it might be different for others, but that's how I would, that's yeah. been my experience. And how often do you, because I mean, look, it's, uh, I think it's really nice how you've explained um, the way that you're approaching your content strategy, ultimately being a derivative of the business um, objectives, the marketing strategy, then the content strategy, which is exactly how it, how it should be. How often do you use the content strategy that you have meticulously put together with to almost use as a bit of a, a controlling stick with those stakeholders when they try to sort of get involved and they try to take it in another direction? Do you feel that you're able to make that reference and keep them on point when it's um, you know documented and codified in yes. terms of how this is going to work? Again, to a certain extent, yes. yes. And, and, and mostly <laughs> I would say yes, it does uh, keep everybody aligned to to a certain extent and it does sort of create a source of truth that mm. you can refer back to in terms of this was the plan that we agreed mm. you know we sat down we thought about these themes ideally you have then an editorial calendar that you know yeah. you put together and you try and think uh, about you know several months ahead I mean you know as we've all seen in the world in the last two years who knows what's going to happen next? So you can actually put your themes within your plan and, you know, sit your stakeholders down mm. and try and plan six months a year in advance. But actually, I think these days that's much, much harder. And I think you've you've almost got to have these bigger themes that you can then be more agile more within able, yeah. so that you can actually pivot on the say You know that you, your theme is still relevant because it's relevant to your customers, mm. it's relative to mm. your business. But the actual sub-themes within that, you do need to be quite agile and, and have a perspective on things that are happening as and when, because yeah. at the speed of the economy changing, geopolitical mm. events, like everything that's going on in the world right now, not you know, not starting a whole pandemic that we've just been through, you've got to be able to be agile and be flexible with, within that plan. Yeah. But that, that's interesting because obviously a lot of marketers struggle with the balancing between reactive and Mm. proactive content um, in terms of your experience obviously the last couple of years have been uh, curveball central when it comes to you know your 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 yeah. content marketing strategy or your marketing strategy in general but have you got any tips or tricks that you've learned over the last number of years to try and make sure that that balance is well balanced within the business yeah I mean in terms of the sort of framework that I think within um, whenever I'm having a conversation about content strategy I think within sort of three main levels of content or levels of sort of um, themes, I guess. So the top of that, uh, it's, it's a bit like a, a triangle. So the top of that that triangle would be about brand and brand story, who we are, what we stand for, values, like really trying to understand kind of why why we are who we are, what we actually are trying to 
as a business, as a mm-hmm. business strategy, who are we trying to um, help to be successful in the market? Kind of who are we as a, as a company? How do we want to be positioned? You know, really think about that kind of brand story and what makes us tick. But I do think that's the top of the triangle because I don't think that's where you put a lot of your resource. It is there. It's part of the strategy, but it's not. It's certainly not the sort of the main uh, bulk of the strategy. So I'd say brand at the top and then in the middle, it's really focusing on the kind of industry themes. So you're talking much more at an industry level. So really understanding who your customers are, who those businesses are, what they're trying to achieve and really dissecting what what they need and and what, what you can be talking about in terms of helping to innovate within that industry, helping to drive things forward and creating a kind of community of, of content um, at that industry level. And then the the third one is is more sort of in, I wouldn't say in the weeds, but it's more in the sort of technical aspects of, especially in B2B, it's kind of the level of product. So mm-hmm. it's more about sort of product innovation, customer needs on a more day-to-day basis. So that's when you're really thinking about your personas that you're targeting, um, you know, what they're scared of, what their challenges are, what keeps them up at night, and how your capabilities or your products actually help them to solve those problems and help them not not have nightmares at night and you know have a, have a, a much better um, uh, career working experience, you know, mm. because of what you're doing to help them. So, I it's kind of you start big at the top with the brand piece, then sort of a level down at the sort of industry play, and then at the product persona solving mm. problems kind of way. So. I think that's where you sort of get the balance from between the different types. And with, I mean, we're probably talking in our sort of the the mid part of that triangle level where we're talking around sort of industry issues. And to your point earlier, really, really important that you remain agile so you can react. And this is something that was often recognised by marketers that we work with. Um, and it's something they have an appetite to do in terms of providing that sort of reactive content. But then when it comes to operationalising it, you end up with all sorts of problems. And, you know, we've even got clients that we're speaking to at the moment about this very thing. Mm. And, you know, something which has that initial excitement suddenly sort of tails off when you start to actually like, well, how the hell am I going to put this into place? Yeah. Now, um, from your perspective, how do you operationalize that sort of reactive um, content? How do you sort of set up the right people in the business to be able to monitor what's going on, but then also to be able to feed into the creation of content and get it out in a timely manner? Because once you lose that topicality, it's redundant. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point. Um, again, I, I think that middle piece, and I, I think I mentioned it, is about that sort of community. Mm. And so to be reactive, you need to have your ear to the ground. You need to have your finger on the pulse Mm. in terms of what is happening in your industry or at the world at large and how that impacts the industry that your customers are in. Um, So I would, the way I've seen it work best is where you have certain stakeholders in the business who are much more involved in that network. They are almost like part of the infrastructure of that Mm. industry they've been there a long time they know it and they know the people within the industry as well so to convene around a reactive topic where something has just happened or something is about to happen um you know you can see that sometimes with events or you can bring certain stakeholders together inside your business and out your outside of your business to kind of have a conversation Mm -hmm. and that helps to not only have your reaction to whatever's just happened and whatever event it might be, but it helps to understand different perspectives of that of that yeah. is- issue. And so when you bring those people together, it 
it can then help you just a simple conversation can actually help you then understand how to sort of create content mm. on the back of that so you might have a copywriter you know just yeah. who's there taking notes and and can kind of play that back and again if people aren't comfortable using names and dog titles and everything like that it can be more of a a piece that's coming from your industry or your company yourself mm. but you're actually reflecting a, a, a wider perspective of of whatever you're talking about and so i think it's really about having the right people in your business that are comfortable with creating content or helping to create content and they're comfortable within their network to pull on other people yeah. to start a conversation about something yeah. and then they can always bring your perspective as a company yeah. but i think you've got to be able to convene others around us yeah, I, th I think that i mean i think to be honest you're absolutely spot on firstly in terms of getting people together to have that that conversation because i think that where a lot of companies go wrong when they try and do reactive content is they're like this has happened right Brian or Juliet or whoever it might be within the business, write me a blog about this. Yeah. And actually it's quite paralyzing yeah. having to write a blog in isolation. Mm. So have that conversation, have the copywriter involved. Or the other sort of like little sort of trick which often works is um, rather than, as I say, getting yourself sort of like tied in knots trying to write a piece of editorial content and being meticulous about it, which actually is really, really slow, is record some of that conversation mm. and then dice that up into you know some social cuts or if anything's actually sort of good enough in its own right make that sort of five minutes worth of content and it's quite a pragmatic way of um, being able to do it sorry uh, rich you no, no, I, th I think that you're right and i think over the last number of years i think we've all got used to more candid content mm. in in our daily lives but also in our work lives as well you know videos on linkedin or or, or just more raw content more in yeah. the moment stuff moment stuff um because obviously there's two struggles in this, right? It's firstly getting to a point where you're ready to create some content around a certain topic and get those people in the room. The next point is where businesses we normally see brands hampered is in the editing stage mm. to get it then live and out there in the market. And if you aren't quick enough, you've lost the moment. And another thing that I've always noticed, and it's really interesting, obviously on the agency side, but coming from that publishing backbone, which is all about speed, um, is that a lot of our clients or prospective clients have always seen something their competitors done, wanted to then do something on the back of that, mm. reacting to what their competitors done, and they think that's reactive content. That's not reactive content. That's reacting to something that's happened already in the market, being spoken about. It's Once like you're two weeks, content. <laughs> but you're two weeks down the line, it's gone. Yeah, you know, yeah. game over. So in, in a way, you kind of have to be proactively reactive to get those people in the room and then be comfortable as a business. If you feel like it fits on brand, understand that's an important thing. But the stakeholders need to be comfortable that it, it might not be perfect, but that might be the stuff that actually has more virality than stuff... Yeah. that you finesse for months on end. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with a big challenge for a lot of B2B marketers, certainly in my industry. Um, it's that comfort level and it's helping stakeholders come to that point where they're willing to accept that it's actually modernising content to a certain extent. Like you say, it's, it's slightly more informal, it's more digestible. You've got to cut through the noise, so you've got to get people's attention very, very mm. quickly. It's not about writing you know, 10 page white paper documents that to your point are absolutely perfect. You know, somebody has gone through it 10 times with a red pen and comes back and, and I do see paralysis in that, definitely. But there's also a comfort level in coming from a very complex or technical background. 
stakeholders more times than not they do want it to be absolutely perfect and it's like we've got to you know showcase the full spectrum of this issue and you know dissect it and have all of the facts and the figures and the evidence and absolutely everything's got to be captured in this one piece of Mm. content where what i would say is let's capture all of that information in one place great but we can to your point slice and dice it and make it more modern and just more interesting Mm. and something that people actually go oh wow i didn't know that and I think, yeah. um, you know, I don't have the science behind it. Maybe I should have come here with stats. But, um, you know, uh, even I see this, you know, five years ago, um, it used to be vitally important to have those pieces of big rock content at the start of the customer journey to get the data and then hopefully to remarket to those individuals. I now think there's still a place for those more technical pieces of content. But actually... There may be an argument to say that it's much later on in the sales cycle. Mm. And the sales cycle now is all around consistent content that's um, a lot shorter and sharper, that that hits home a a message and that that brand piece in B2B is more prevalent than ever before. Um, And actually, we may have seen a massive shift in, in B2B marketing whereby short form, quick kind of native content is now more important at the, even the top of the funnel than your white papers behind a data capture page. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think actually you get a lot more long form and more complex as you get down through the, the buyer journey. Because yeah. at the start, if they don't know you, don't know your capabilities, have any idea what your company is, it's actually just capturing their attention at the start with Absolutely. something that either raises a challenge that they either do or didn't know they have, um, or raises an opportunity for them to to grab and seize that they maybe didn't know about as well. So it's kind of capturing that attention at the start and then you've got to keep the attention but go deeper and deeper into that issue or into that challenge and how you solve that challenge as you go through it. I think if you start too deep, too technical, too long at the start, people are like, well, I don't know who you are, so why should I invest my my time in reading this? I think that that is absolutely spot on. And that's always been the fallacy in terms of how people have approached, you know, know, a big research paper that they put behind a data capture. And they're just like, well, I I can do cold outreach to people, you know, through paid social. And yeah, they'll give me their details and download this. But you haven't established that credibility. And that's, for me, what I've always felt is the sort of the important thing is that you've got to earn that right Mm. um, before they're willing to actually sort of pass over the details. Now, there are some exceptions. If you are a Google, for instance, you've already got that brand credibility um, and you can probably sort of jump a couple of steps. But if you are a brand that's trying to sort of introduce yourself to an audience You've got to take it step by step. And that's where what you've described is how you do use that shorter form social content to start to build that awareness, start to build that sort of positive sentiment and some trust. And then when it comes to actually what is effectively a big conversion point of I'm going to give my details to download this, you've earned that right. And people have that higher levels of comfort to to do that. And that's just important sort of intuitional, intuitive marketing, really. Yeah. But you see it all the time, right? Like um, when, you know, we look at metrics for campaigns and things, there has been a shift, a big shift. Um, But previously it was all about the downloads and then subsequent, you know, the engagement after that tails off in terms of your email marketing. Well, the the open rates are low, the click-through rates are low because they don't have that brand affinity. I do think now the marketing community... Um, are more aware that less is more and akin to talking the business language. So when we come back to business strategy, 
um, they recognise that it's not just about eyeballs and leads anymore. It's about actual engagement. It's about dwell times. It's about consistency of, of people engaging with your content. And ultimately, it's about people having more engaged conversations with partners or sales counterparts, etc. Um, and I've seen that fundamentally as a big shift, I think, from in, in the marketing community. Speaking the business language, wrote a book on it, um, speaking the business language rather than marketing metrics that the business didn't quite understand oh yeah yeah we always come to the ta- i always say this we always come to the table with our marketing jargon and um you, you know i've been in many meetings where you can see people just go what what are you talking about like why are you talking to me about mqls and sqls and and things like that where actually to your point it's just how do you showcase the value of what marketing is doing and it's in things like how are you contributing to pipeline in, in terms of revenue and actual you know sales engagements or how are you engaging a community across different subsets of, of the target audience like you say how are you actually capturing their attention how are you keeping their attention and I think you know intent marketing I know is becoming much more common as well just in terms of how Google's uh, sort of helping to to drive journeys and things like that and, and at the point of intention you know how in how how strong is the intention to buy or to research or to do something, you know, take an action. I think that's interesting as well. So you've got to know along that buyer journey kind of what that person is actually wanting to consume and why and what action they're kind of wanting to take next. And and the content's got to be so engaging that they want to take that next step with yeah. your company. So And um, obviously when we talk about so going back to content strategy and understanding how to finesse this kind of plan and the work that you do. Do you use data to inform the decisions you make to readjust your content strategy? And if so, how often, how does it work for you? Yeah, I, I mean, data for me just plays a, a huge part in all, all facets of, of marketing strategy. And, and I think the more data you have to, to inform your strategy, the better. Um, I think you've got to be a little bit careful with with data because it can it can mislead you sometimes you know like you might see something spiking over here but there might have been a reason for that so I'll give you an example of uh, in a previous company I worked for we we had some great blogs and and we had we were lucky enough to have journalists who worked in that business so content came quite easily but they'd written a piece on a, quite a niche topic a very niche topic in fact in one commodity industry in the Middle East or something and it was just it spiked I mean we had like 50,000 views in like the first week or something and we were like this is insane let's you do know, more and, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everybody was getting super excited like what is it about this blog yeah. we need we need to repeat this over and over and over again and it was not the blog it's since we found out somebody had shared it on a very popular um forum and it had opened this huge debate but anyway that's great but that's not replicable so you know you've got to be a bit careful with data is just my point but yeah. yes i think watching and 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 regularly understanding your data and and reporting back on the success and the engagement of content is is so important and trying different things as well you know you've got to a b test you've got to see what's working best on on your website on different parts of the website whether you know through email channels as well just understanding what's resonating more and then slowly you kind of use the data to make different decisions Mm. i I just think there sometimes is a bit of a you know a rush to something because of data that might not be quite right um i don't know if you saw there was an advert a while ago that was i think it was I think it was Amazon. 
but you can cut this out if it wasn't Amazon. Um, and it was showing like clicks or yep. ordering something. An encyclopedia. And, it a, and it was a baby. Yeah, it's Adobe. Adobe. Oh, was it Adobe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about yeah. to actually reference exactly yeah, the exactly. same ad. It exactly. tells the point. Well, I'll, I'll let Amy uh, describe well, you it. You obviously know it a bit better okay. than I do. So <laughs> so you, you, can, you can describe it. <laughs> so it it's, a, it's a really nice little, little ad. Um, so there's like a really old-fashioned encyclopedia, um, you know, production factory uh, that's largely dormant because no one buys encyclopedias. And then suddenly, I think they're probably about to close down and there's a little bleep on the computer and it's like an order of an encyclopedia, a lot of excitement, and then more and more orders. And there's, you know, it, it just keeps on growing exponentially. And then the, the whole narrative is telling them how they're sort of like calling up people, you know, uh, lumberjacks, meaning we need more oh, trees, God. we need more things. <laughs> and then okay. they sort of industrialize all of their production. And then the very final scene is a baby just pressing purchase over and over again on an iPad so uh, but no it tells exactly the same yeah, sort of like story, story doesn't it? it's like the irony is, is they won't be able to deliver those in seven weeks given the supply chain shortages for wood and paper <laughs> that is true but yeah I just it just highlights my yeah, point of yeah. data is excellent to make decisions based mm. on but not be too reactive and read too much into certain data points yeah. And it, when it comes to content, just for context, what type of, don't laugh, uh, what type of um, uh, data are you looking at? Is it scroll depth, uh, dwell times? Like, What are the things that jump out to you as good metrics for success? Yeah, I think definitely um, scroll scrolling on certain pieces but again that's more the sort of long form pieces yeah. you know video is obviously you can see how long people have been watching for and yeah. where they stop because I've always seen that it's kind of like oh they only watch this first 10 seconds yeah. and then they're gone and yeah. you think why but what? how much can you say in 10 seconds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to try and get somebody's attention so yeah obviously you know, video time and then downloads of course are, are, are important um and I would say, obviously, uh, engagement with social media is, is super important just in terms of clicks and, and metrics there. But I mean, there's a whole gamut. There's a yeah. whole gamut. But I think the important thing to do is actually look at all of those different, um, I would say, sort of micro data points. And I think you've got to aggregate them in some way that makes it a bit more meaningful. And you can take mm. some insights from it because each of those in isolation is is potentially going to take you down that dangerous path of going oh we must do more mm. of this you know i have seen that as well just we must do more video straight away all, all about video mm. you know we're not doing anything else now and that's not the right way to do it either it, it definitely needs to continue to be a good mix in mm. terms of of how what you're and again go back into the, to the a b testing like making sure that you're just keeping an eye mm. on different uh, options and how do you make sure that the insights that you're gathering from those data are fed back into the, the content creation or content optimization process because I, I would imagine that in a lot of instances companies are collecting a lot of data and they feel a great sense of satisfaction because there is this data mm -hmm. but then they don't do anything with the data in terms of making sure that it is that positive feedback loop yeah I mean if I think about my time at S&P I think we probably had nailed it quite well at that point um, so essentially what I would do is have the sort of big marketing, you know, it, a cadence of meetings within marketing that enabled us to flow information through the team in a way that's relevant and timely to the team. But at different levels of those meetings and those discussions and those reports, 
you know, you, you go from quite high level so you can ensure that the strategic direction at that high level. So if I had the meeting with, you know, the whole team, it's going back to the marketing strategy again, tying it back to that business strategy and then using some of those data points to inform kind of why we're doing certain mm. things within the strategy. That helps the whole team understand the bigger picture of what you're trying to achieve because that's so important. Everybody's got to be following that, you know, that, that North Star. Everybody's, you know, trying to achieve the, the same objectives overall. Then within that, I make sure that my leadership team would all understand for their part of the business that they are responsible for, how that translates into that. And for them to be able to analyze the data with the context of their particular business challenge or the industry that they're kind of supporting. Their team can then do that with stakeholders. So it helps them to understand the higher level, but it also goes into, okay, in this particular part of the business, what do these engagement stats look like? And then they go down a level further in terms of slicing and dicing different audience groups or different channels, different content types. You know, you're going to have to have a look at all mm. of those things, but they can dissect it more and they can play that back to the stakeholders in a way that the stakeholders understand. Because again, our stakeholders that do not sit in marketing are not going to want to go and we they don't want to be presented with these enormous, you know, spreadsheets of numbers or enormous dashboards of hundreds of data points about all of the, the marketing campaigns. They just want to know what worked. What's moving the needle. What's mo what's moving the needle, what worked, and what was worth their time. Yeah. Because actually everybody is time poor. Yeah. And they want to know that what they're inputting into from a marketing perspective is actually driving something mm. worthwhile. It's driving value. But again, it's showing them or giving marketers the tools and the mindset to show them how things roll up into strategy and business strategy because that's where we get lost. We get lost just talking about a random data point that nobody thinks is related to anything else. Whereas if your whole team is speaking the same language and you know what you, it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know what the picture looks like, but there might be just a part of it over here on one side that that team is looking at, but they need to know the bigger picture to understand how to talk about those metrics in a way that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier when we when we had Ornia Brin on the uh, on the podcast, she was talking about everyone within a, a team militantly knowing the role in which they're playing for the end business outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you know even the cleaners, for example, or whatever you know, people making tea, whatever it is, people understand that the role in which they're playing is having a demonstrable impact on the end outcome for a business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you bring on, you know, just think about entry level. Um, marketers into the team and they might have a very specific role that they that they do on a, on a daily basis now more than ever with. right because there's so many specialisms absolutely and you might go right well we need this person to be an absolute you know social media expert and that's what they do but they need to know how that particular channel fits in with the channel strategy what types of content we're trying to drive why we've done certain types of content how that fits into the marketing strategy how that fits into the business strategy it's just i think we should always be thinking about how this all fits into the bigger picture and i do like the sort of jigsaw analogy because if you give somebody one piece of a jigsaw and then say what what does that show you? Mm. You just look at it and go, I have absolutely no idea. The more of those jigsaw pieces you put together and group, you might go, oh, well, I see this corner of the picture shows X. And then you build and build. And, and But to start, you've got to have that big picture before you can start to put the pieces in place. And, and it's I think it's quite an easy analogy to understand when, you, when you're thinking one. about marketing. So just one, I'm, this is a penultimate question, because I know we're, now, we're okay. coming, towards, coming towards time, but um, I think it's an interesting one. Um, so... 
B2B investment in content actually is continuing to, to, to go up, you know, mm-hmm. year on year. And all the projections are for 2022 that that's, that's going to continue as a trend. And certainly over the past sort of five to sort of eight years, the really sort of like prevailing sort of theme has been around content marketing and thought leadership. And obviously content marketing is all about sort of switching from a a brand first perspective to an audience first perspective and you're providing content that has a material value to that audience that they can take away and use. From your perspective, what do you think the future is of B2B marketing over sort of, you know, a three-year period? Do you think we are going to continue to see the rise and rise of content marketing? Or do we feel that there is going to be a switch back to more around sort of brand messaging? Or, or anything else, actually. I don't mm. want to prejudice the question. Yeah, no, uh, well, it's it's a very interesting question mm. and something I need to be very aware of in the yeah. next three years. I, I do think content marketing will will continue mm. uh, to be extremely critical to, to any marketing strategy in, in the mm. B2B space. Um, I think we need to modernise the, the content marketing yeah. in, in, a lot, in a lot of ways. I still see in financial services, I was just at a conference this week, there is still so much, you know, it's the old school printed fact sheets, flyers, you know, mm. things that, you know, it's hot off the press this week, but it's a printed piece of paper that just looks sad. And every piece of content I saw at that conference was either blue or green or and it was or, or white and, and, and that was it. And, and I was like, there's absolutely no mm. differentiation here. Yeah. Um, so I think... The point of differentiation is an important one because there is so much content and there is so much noise and the world is getting noisier and noisier. I, I haven't got the, the data stat to hand, but it's, I don't even know the word now. It's like how many gazillion megabytes or zettabytes, yeah. whatever they're called. Those, the, the data, <laughs> it sounds like a lot. It sounds it just, like a lot. Yeah. There's a ton of data that's created like every second in the world. And when we say data, it's it's just stuff out there mm. on the internet. It's, it's everything trying to get our attention on a on a minute by minute basis. So I think within content marketing, it's understanding that the noise is getting louder and louder and more deafening. I think there is also this machine AI element to content marketing that I'm starting to see more and more of where there are many more companies offering to create, you know, ma- machine created content. Yeah. Have you had an experience with it? Not yet. I have recently for yeah. well, obviously not in our business because that would go against the model at the moment. But um, yeah. and it's just not there yet. Like Absolutely not not for agree. not for B two B brands for direct to consumer brands, which I've used it on. Yes, I think that you know there is a place for it to build to build SEO and, and link building, but the quality and the consistency is just not right. Yeah. Um, and I found that you have to you have to spend more time finessing it on the back end than you put into it in the front end. Um, I think I think it will come, but I think we are quite a, f- a far way away from that at the moment. Yeah, and that was going to be my point. It's it's something that I'm starting to see kind of sneaking, you know, yeah. in, in the background a little bit, but. I I certainly haven't used it, and anything I've seen, I completely agree with you. I think the quality is is too way too low, um, especially in a B two B. We're talking to experts in yeah, their field who are making complex decisions that are career defining, and they need to spend a hell of a lot of money from their company, and you know, put their trust and and everything else yeah. in that purchase. So there's no way that some <laughs> 
you know, badly worded, low quality piece of content that a machine has created is going to help to drive that engagement that we're all wanting. But it so. might have a place, you know, like SEO. I think it or, might do, or, yeah. And, and absolutely, I think as it gets more, maybe as it gets more sophisticated, you know, I would never say no to anything, but yeah. to your point at this point in time, no. But maybe in three years, if, you know, that's what we're thinking about, maybe in three years, that will be something that we'll all be talking about a lot more. And, you know, I'll play back this podcast will, and go, we I can was, revisit it. You mentioned it around risks. So ultimately what we're suggesting is um, the marketing community needs to be prepared to take more risks when it comes to creating content. Um, and obviously it's something that in FS and professional services, uh, it's quite difficult to do. How would you go about trying to adopt a culture internally to enable business leaders to understand that we need to take more risks through our content to stand out. Yeah, interesting question. And again, it just sort of depends on the company and the stakeholders and, and whether you are um, massively constricted by compliance and legal, because if, if you're in a bank, you are. If you're not, maybe not quite so much, um, if you're not regulated. However, within that, um, I would say that you need to get the stakeholders really comfortable with the start point of your strategy, which is really knowing or showing, sorry, that you have understood and analyzed the audience you're going after. So who are those personas you're talking to? What do they need? What do they want? What are their worries, fears, whatever? And then from that, you have crafted very clear messaging and storytelling. And I think at that point, your stakeholders have to be very, very comfortable. So those leaders, they go, right, I trust that this is the right story we're telling, and I trust that this is the right messaging overall. So if they're comfortable with that, I then think marketing can get really creative and start to get more innovative with the formats that you tell that story through or that you convey that messaging through, uh, the channels that you're using. You can start to take more mm. risks if the messaging is, I don't want to say safe, but compelling and trusted and credible and all of the things that your leaders want it to be. I think we've got more free reign in, in content creation in terms of the format and in the channel you take it to market with. But I think the actual substance of it needs to be, there needs to be a confidence level from your leadership mm. team before you can go out to market because nobody wants to get fired. No. I'm very good I'll stop there. <laughs> there we go. Le learnings from the episode. No one wants to get fired. That's a great way of ending. That's a great way of ending. Good stuff. Thanks, Amy, for coming on to the show. Uh, I think it was a really, really great conversation. We could have spoken for quite a bit longer. Uh, Benny, do you want to just give us our, our, our audience uh, <laughs> kind of a, a closing remark? A closing remark? I mean, where to start, which is me buying time, uh, by the way, for a closing remark. Um, look, I think that it, we, we started the conversation and we talked around sort of the importance of um, managing your stakeholders. Um, and in terms of where that sort of conversation has evolved, like all roads have led back to that really sort of robust strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, you know, what really supports that strategic thinking is being able to demonstrate it. And that's demonstrate it through the data that you are collecting. And if you're able to put together a really, really robust, compelling strategy that makes sense, it makes it much easier to win those arguments with your internal stakeholders. And we were just talking there about the way that you manage to take risks. Again, it all comes down to being able to put it down in really, really understandable, strong, logical terms. You build that confidence, you buy that trust, it gives you that license to go out and express yourself as a marketer. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. <laughs>
B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.